God. And uh, we serve such a, an incredible God. I want to remind you that Sunday morning is not for us. It is for our community. All of the teaching, all the preaching is going to be very basic evangelistic teaching and preaching. Much of it you're going to know. Get with your pastor. Hallelujah. Much of it you're going to know, but get with me anyways. Don't zone out. I already know those verses. And, um, and then let them absorb into you because we want to be a powerful witness. So what you may already know, you're going to hear it presented in a different way that may help people. And then, uh, of course, we've got Sunday school, etc. We really want to reach into our community. The book of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36 and verse number 37. Thank you so much, Sister Fole, for... Uh, really running service, etc. Since uh, I was tied up with Sister Janet, I really do appreciate that. Um, Acts 2, verse number 36 and verse number 37. This is now the birth of the church. We'll go a little bit more into this, into it. This is the day that the gospel and the message of grace and what's called the church age and God's new covenant began. It did not begin begin when Jesus was on the face of the earth. All of this started after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of his spirit. So what we're going to talk about now does not apply to the thief on the cross, does not apply to those that were living at the particular time Jesus was alive and John the Baptist was preaching. So this is very important because people get confused and we have to rightly divide the word of God. And so we have to look at things in their appropriate context. Acts 2 and 36, the church had just begun. Peter's preaching, and he finishes preachings with this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now he's preaching to thousands of Jews. They get it. They realize, oh my, we've killed our Savior. Our sin is great. Let me just make a comment to you here today and those that are listening on CastBox. Many of us have grievous sins that we've committed, and the devil would like us to think that we can't be forgiven. But these folks that had Jesus crucified found forgiveness and salvation. And I, had, I wasn't there that day and said crucify him after he'd healed me from a major disease. But there were people that had been healed miraculously by Jesus that called for his crucifixion. So if they can be forgiven, we can be forgiven. If they can be washed, we can be washed. Hallelujah. Verse 37. Now when they heard this. They were pricked in their heart. In the original Greek, it means pierced through to their soul and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is the very first time in the church age, in the beginning of the age of grace, in the beginning of the new covenant, that someone asked, what do we need to do for salvation? And so I'm going to expound on this particular area of Scripture, and you'll leave today, Lord willing, knowing exactly what New Testament salvation is and be able to explain it. And for those of you that are listening on CastBox, if you hear this message and want to further understand it, you are welcome to contact me at 813-358-8588. 813-358-8588. Let's pray and ask God to bless this service. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sweet mercies. We thank you for truth. We thank you, oh God, for a salvation that liberates the soul. 
that chains are broken, yes, that lives are changed completely. Lord, it's such a good life living for you. It's such a good life being set free from the sins that have bound us. Thank you for your precious blood. Thank you for your spirit. God, I ask that you would move in this service. I pray that you would touch every individual here. Remind us of the grace that you've given us and teach us to become effective witnesses. And oh God, yet again, we ask that you would put your hand mightily on our precious dear sister Janet, that she would be touched and healed in the name of Jesus Christ, all according to your mercies in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands under the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can uh, take your seats if you like. And uh, we're going to believe God for a powerful service. Who's going to help me preach this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, I don't have a, a, a 60 mile an hour speed. I don't have a, an 80 mile an hour speed. I don't even have a 100 mile an hour speed when it comes to preaching. I think I'm usually 200 from the get-go. And uh, my wife keeps yelling at me, you're going to hurt your ribs. And uh, I did pay for it Friday night. But anyways... Uh, Thank you all for your prayers. My, my, my injury to my ribs is doing so much better. And, um, and I'm able to get up out of bed without a lot of pain and all of that. So we're thankful. We're thankful. So this is the first day of the church. This is the first day of the church. The church was born, birthed spiritually on what's called the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was crucified, had resurrected. He was with his disciples about 40 days, uh, teaching them, preparing them for the beginning of what we call the church age uh, or the age of grace. Uh, the disciples had come together and had been praying, and I'll talk about that, waiting for a particular power that Jesus told them they needed, and that power came. It's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And that day, the church was born. We know by historical record in the Bible that 3,000 people were added to the 120 that were in the upper room. And it was the birth of the most powerful entity on the face of the earth. And I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is not the church. The Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon spoken of in the book of Revelation. And uh, by the way, she has many daughters, and that's all of the churches that maintain her doctrine of the Trinity and her triune formula of baptism, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That's what they claim, and the Bible backs it up. How many want to believe the truth? Hallelujah. Amen. Say, Pastor, are you against the Catholics? Not at all. I love them. I was raised Catholic. I'm against false Catholic doctrine, but I'm not against the Catholics. And if you're listening to this on CastBox and you're Catholic, please don't be offended. You know there's deep issues in amongst the Catholic Church. I faced them myself as a priest himself that has now been outed in Buffalo, tried to uh, molest my cousin and I and was not successful. But anyways, so, so if you're listening on CastBox, don't be offended. This is truth. And we don't hate Catholics. We just don't like false doctrine that hurts people. Um, so... The most powerful entity on the face of the earth was born this day. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16 and 18. And I say also unto thee, this is when Peter identified him as the Messiah, 
and the Christ. And let me tell you, that was a mouthful for a Jew because it meant that Jesus was God himself, Jehovah, the Father, the Creator, come in human form. And that's what Judaism taught as the coming Messiah, and that's what the original church taught as who Jesus was. Not a second person of the Trinity, but the Father manifest in the flesh. But anyways, Peter identified him as the Christ, and Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I know that Peter was called Cephas uh, by Jesus, and called the stone, and there are many that misinterpret this particular scripture, saying that he's talking about Peter being the rock. That is not true. Peter was called the stone, not the rock. But he is talking about the fundamental foundational teaching that Jesus Christ is God himself in the flesh. And in 1 Timothy 3.16 on into chapter 4, you will find out that Paul said that God the Father, it's not added in the, in the King James, but that word theos is translated often as God the Father, 1 Timothy 3.16 was manifest in the flesh or made visible in human form he was preached unto the gentiles seen of angels and received up into glory believed on in the world that's jesus and then he prophesies clearly that there is going to be a church that rises up that denies that rock that's the rock of our faith that's the fundamental part of our faith that god himself became a man and he declared that this particular entity would be following doctrines of devils would have their consciences seared by a hot iron and let me tell you the catholic church that's exactly what has gone on for years they have had molested millions of little children and covered it all up that's your conscience being seared it should have been dealt with and it says remarkably this is the apostle paul prophesying prophesying incredibly that that this church this uh, this this entity that would rise up and deny the rock of our faith that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He said they would forbid to marry and command to abstain from meat. Now let me tell you that was ludicrous. It was, it was loco. It was crazy for him in the flesh to say that there's going to be a church that commands people not to marry. I mean, that's just so contrary to Judean teaching and, and Christian teaching. And he said, the spirit speaketh directly. He opened up that conversation in, in chapter 4 saying, this is all from the spirit. Because clearly it would be nuts to say, wait, there's going to be a Christian, quote, Christian church that's going to tell people not to marry. But indeed, the Catholic Church forbids marriage of their priests. And they command people to abstain from meat on Fridays during Lent. Uh, so that you can go buy their fish fry. But anyways, uh, so, so, so our rock and the truth, the rock, is that Jesus Christ is God himself manifest in the flesh. He said that, and he said, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Let me tell Church of Pentecost here in Tampa, you're not my church. I don't own you, if I could put it that way. Uh, 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 this is Jesus' church, and we're all just laborers together. Yeah. 
I just happen to be blessed to be the pastor of what I think is the finest congregation in the world. But, um, and that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm opinionated that way, and that's all right. That's the way I should feel. But, but uh, this isn't my church. This is not a denomination's church. This is not Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship's church. Uh, we're just a, a, a group of folks that believe together and support one another, just like the early church. Yeah. Read the book of Acts. That's our history. That's who we are. Aren't you glad you're part of that church that started 2,000 years ago? So please don't ever get in the habit of saying Brother Fole's church. You can say uh, the, the church that Pastor Fole pastors. That's what I do. But this isn't my church. It's Jesus's church. And it's built on this rock. And then this is what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is often taught that hell can't, can't tear down the church. It's actually quite contrary. It's that the church is going to tear down hell. It's God's will, God's purpose that we yeah. turn our world upside down. Yes, yes, that we attack the demonic realm. Yeah. That we go after the people in bondage. Yeah. And uh, the gates of hell will not withstand a on fire, full of the Holy Ghost, apostolic movement. It can't. It can't stop it. And let me tell you, across the world right now, we are seeing dynamic moves of God everywhere, including here in Tampa. We, my goodness, we just rebaptized a Trinitarian pastor's wife and, uh, and uh, looking forward to baptizing him. Hallelujah. And uh, this, is re this is revival. The gates of hell cannot stop a red-hot apostolic church that's full of prayer and full of the Holy Ghost and willing to be bold in the Spirit and preach the gospel to every creature. If we get around our business and do what God's called us to do, we're going to turn Tampa upside down. We're going to turn Newport Ritchie area upside down. We're going to turn St. Pete's area in the next place. Lord willing, we're going to plant a church upside down. We're going to reach out into Brandon. Hallelujah. How many want to be a part of the church that helped can can't stop, that hell can't inhibit, that hell can't put back. Oh yeah, that's who we are. That's who we are. Oh, 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 I'm so excited to be a part of the church. You say, do we have ups and downs? You bet. And in everything that we go through, we're going to have ups and downs. And there's going to be times that we feel like giving up. And I'll be honest, last year, I felt like giving up as things looked like we were going to lose the building and everything else. And Sister Janet, let me tell you, after every service, she would make it a point. Oh, Pastor, that was such a good service. If we had two or three here, oh, Pastor, that was such a good service. Oh, Pastor, thank you for preaching. Oh, thank God for folks uh, that unite with the man of God to try to get the work of God done. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 I'd literally drop a watermelon, watermelon preaching. I mean, I'd be, be, be not my best, so to speak, and she'd still say, oh, pastor, that was great preaching. Thank God for Sister Janet. Let's keep her in prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this church that we're a part of is the most powerful entity on the face of the earth. It's been going for 2,000 years. Every time the devil tries to stamp it out, flames just spread out. Hallelujah. Yeah, right. They do. In fact, he persecuted the church in Jerusalem, and it traveled everywhere. Satan has kind of learned his lesson. He's not trying to stamp on the church right now. He's trying to put it to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Because he knows if great persecution comes, people are going to scatter and take this word everywhere. That's what happened back in, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, he's not a dumb guy. 
you know, he, he's slick. And so he wants the church to become complacent. He wants the church to become our four and no more. He wants the church to get the mentality that there's nobody out there that really wants this message. I'm telling you there are millions and millions out there that want this message. Hallelujah. As I begin to talk to people about the original Christian message and how the original church is so different than all the fallacy and the fakeness and the, the money laundering and all the stuff that's going on out there in the other churches... When I start talking about it, they say, tell me about it. And when I tell them that the first place anybody ever asked, what do we need to do, is recorded in the scripture, they ask me, show me where it is, because I've heard so many different answers. Uh, about six to eight out of ten people that I initiate a conversation with uh, about the original church, six to eight out of ten, want me to show them Acts chapter 2, the verses that I'm reading, and over half of them admit they need to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus. Don't tell me people aren't interested in this, uh, there are a lot of people that want spirituality, that want a real experience with God. They're flocking now to witchcraft because witchcraft has no rules uh, and everybody can feel a presence, a spiritual presence. Uh, yes, there are some limits in true Christianity. Yes, there are some rules and regulations. Uh, oh, but the Spirit of God is a million times better than the Spirit of hell. Hallelujah. It builds your life instead of destroys your life. It brings We've got a message and there's a great need. Who wants to be the church and tear down the gates of hell? Yes, hallelujah. My, my, my. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, how many feel the Holy Ghost this morning? Hallelujah. He's here, folks. This isn't just hype. This is Holy Ghost. Yes, I'm excited. But I'm telling you what, I'm not going to get more excited and let my excitement for a football game in the past outshine my excitement for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Woo. Ain't God good. Ain't God good. Hallelujah. My, my, my. And so... And so Jesus told Peter and the rest of the apostles, listen, what you're fixing to start can't be stopped. Did you know that all of the apostles except John were martyred because of the gospel? Every one of them, including Paul, who was the apostle out of season. Why would he say that, by the way? He said, I'm the apostle out of season because the apostles were established by Jesus. And he saw Jesus directly and spoke to Jesus directly. And Jesus told him that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He said, I'm the apostle out of season, out of season. In other words, I shouldn't be. The ones were already there and already decided upon and they were with Jesus. But now I am. What am I trying to say? Folks, there's no apostles today. People love titles. Right. Apostle so-and-so. The scripture says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Amen. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. I like, there are no more apostles out of season. That's right. We've got everything the apostles taught in that good old book called the Bible. Yeah. That's yeah. our foundation. Is that all right? Yeah. It worries me when people start saying, I'm apostle so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so. First of all, if you are even fulfilling a role similar to apostle, you don't need to proclaim it. Hallelujah. And if you're being used in prophecy and it's real, you don't need to proclaim it. 
Let's get off the title business, hallelujah, and get into God's business. There is no eschatological ladder that we need to climb. We're not a business, hallelujah, we're not like that. We are all laborers together, and whether you're the eye or whether you're the uncomely part like the toe, it doesn't matter, hallelujah, because we're all equal in God's eyes, and if we're doing his will, there's no big eyes and little U's in this thing, hallelujah. like the church. So Jesus tells them that you are going to absolutely destroy the kingdom of Satan. I'm sure they were chomping at the bits. They had been through the University of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. They graduated from the most powerful powerful Christian university ever being taught daily by Jesus Christ himself, the professor of professors, the master of masters uh, and they've been with Jesus 40 days uh, after the resurrection my guess is they were like let me go, they were stallions sitting in a stall waiting to say oh open the door but Jesus said you ain't ready yet there's a particular element to who you're going to be that you need to wait for, you cannot rely on your understanding that I've given you because God the Bible says he opened up their understanding they understood all the scripture in a supernatural sense but that was not enough they had teaching from Jesus but that was not enough they had the power of the name of Jesus because they'd already cast out devils and done many great miracles in the name of Jesus in the three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry and so I'm sure they were like we're ready to go if anybody was probably chopping at the bit it was Peter he's the one that stepped out of the boat but Jesus said ah 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 you've got some other element that you need to have and it's called the power of the Holy Ghost and so he told them he said don't you leave Jerusalem don't you start this thing until you get the power of the Holy Ghost it is recorded in the book of Luke chapter 24 and verse 46 Jesus said unto them thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The church is going to be born at Jerusalem. The message is going to include repentance and remission of sins in the name of Jesus. That's water baptism. But verse 49 he said he says and behold I send the promise of my father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Ghost and he says but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be clothed, that's the original Greek, with power from on high. Anybody here as a kid, you wanted to be a superhero? <laughs> you read those comic books? You're like, oh, I'd like to do that. Let me tell you, when you've got the Holy Ghost, you do become a superhero Amen. in the spiritual realm. That's right. You don't have a little sign that says S on it, you have a little sign that says HG or ES, Holy Ghost or Espiritu Santo. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! How many are glad you got the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. And so 
He told them to wait. And again in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, same author Luke, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. In Acts 1 and 8, he explains to them, they're, they're confused. They're thinking Jesus is going to start a natural kingdom. He did not start, did not come to establish Israel as its own kingdom again, uh, though it was prophesied and it has happened according to the prophecies uh, after World War II. But uh, he said, I'm starting a spiritual kingdom. And he told them in verse 8, he said, you are going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And let me tell you, the church that's victorious against the gates of hell is the church that operates in the power of the Holy Ghost. There are supernatural gifts given to the church from prophecy to discerning of spirits to miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are all still operating in the church, friend. And then there's also the fruit of the spirit. He will change your personality. That's true. He really will. The Holy Ghost will give us things like peace and patience and long suffering and all kinds of wonderful fruits of the spirit. And some of them are not in us naturally, but the spirit will produce those fruits in us. We just need to let the Holy Ghost to have his way. We're all different personalities. All of us have character flaws, if you want to call it that, in our personalities. But the longer you're living in the Holy Ghost, the more those things, which are of the flesh, die away, and the more the sweet fruit of the Spirit is put into your life. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. And so Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the power of the Holy Ghost. In John 15 and 5, Jesus put it this way, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. Much fruit. Let me tell you, another. I was preaching the other night. He said some bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. Jesus is into multiplication, not addition. The gates of hell will not prevail against a Holy Ghost filled, fired up, prayed up, apostolic saint of God. That much fruit is not only talking about the fruit of the Spirit, folks. That's talking about people being born into the kingdom. Yeah. Being born into the kingdom. And so he said, if you abide in me and I in you, he said, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, Jesus spoke in ways that confused the folks quite a bit. One day he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He lost about 10,000 disciples that day. Hallelujah. They had followed him after he had fed the multitude. So there was 5,000 men plus women, men and women. So I'm assuming somewhere around, uh, I'm sorry, plus women and children. I'm assuming somewhere around 10,000 folks and, uh, uh, or so. And when he started to teach that, that, that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, speaking about the Lord's Supper, by the way, they didn't understand. They got offended. Everyone left him, and there was only 12 left. And he said, you all going to leave me too? And Peter said, how could we? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. So let me tell you, the scripture is written in such a way that the carnal mind will never get a hold of it. Yeah. It is spiritually written, and you're going to have to destroy the carnal mind if you're going to understand that book. That's called yeah. repentance, and that's called praying through, and that's called pushing it back. So Jesus said, I'm divine. He said, you've got to abide in me. Well, wait a minute. How can we even be in, in Jesus' body? That doesn't make sense. First of all, he ascended into heaven. So Jesus isn't here figure, uh, 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 literally, physically. He wasn't talking about that. Let me tell you, the church today is written in the scripture. It's called the body of Christ. 
And what he was talking about there is that if you're not part of a local assembly, if you're not faithful to a local assembly, if you're not connected to the vine through which the spirit and the life flow flows, you will never accomplish anything. And that's important because there's a lot of people that think, I don't need a pastor, I don't need a congregation, I don't need this, I don't need that. And the reality of it is you're deceiving yourself. First of all, your pastor is going to present you to God. That's in the book of Hebrews, by the way. Your pastor is going to present you to God. And Paul said, you best be doing good so it's not grievous for him. <laughs> Read it yourself. It's in the book of Hebrews. In fact, he says, obey them that have the rule over you. And he's talking about your pastor. Every saint of God is going to come to a point where they're going to want to do something, and pastor's telling them no. God's going to bring you to that place. And then we're going to find out whether you're going to obey the man of God or not. And, uh, and let me tell you, a true man of God is not going to try to get himself all wrapped up in your business. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what color house to, and car and all of that. I'll help you. I've offered to help a saint already try to get a new car because my wife and I have been very successful at doing that, buying used cars and then selling them later for a couple thousand dollars less than what we bought them and driving them for five to seven years. So we've been very successful at that. We've done it multiple times. So I offered a particular sister and said, listen, if you want help, we'll do it. But I'm not going to tell her what kind of car to get. Uh, uh, necessarily, I have recommended vehicles to individuals and, and all of that, but, but I'm not trying to control your life. But when it comes to spiritual things, you need to understand that your pastor is given you for the perfecting of the saints. Hallelujah. And if you don't believe I'm called to be your pastor, you've got to find somebody that you can trust to be your pastor. Is that all right? Hallelujah. This is going a little deeper than I thought it would, but we're having fun. Are we having fun? Let's clap our hands under the Lord. of a local assembly folks it's essential you need to have a pastor and if you will literally allow the pastor put his fingerprints on your life you will grow in places you never thought possible there are parts in us that we don't even know are there but God knew it because he knew us before we were born and he wants to develop those things and he wants to bring out talents that we didn't know were were there I personally could not speak publicly that's the truth You've heard me tell it before, and I'll tell it again. The only reason I passed public speaking in college is because of the written exams. The first time that I had to speak publicly in that class, I couldn't finish my little three to five minute deal. I about passed out. I had to sit down and put my head between my knees. How embarrassing. So I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in high school. I couldn't do it in college. Who would think that, that this old boy, this little scaredy cat, would preach to thousands? But I have. So God will raise up things in you you don't even know are there. But let me tell you, he's not going to do it without the man of God. And he's not going to give you all this information and even salvation without the preacher. God spoke to Paul personally. Jesus told him, I am Jesus. And then he said, you need to go into Damascus and someone's going to tell you what you need to do. 
So Jesus didn't tell Paul he needed to repent and be baptized? No, he had Ananias do it. And, a, and an angel appeared to a wonderful Roman man named Cornelius, who by all accounts would be considered saved because he prayed daily, he fasted, he gave much money to the poor, and he absolutely believed in Jehovah God. And, uh, and the angel said, you, you check it out, chapter 11, you've got to read chapter 10 and 11. In chapter 11, we find the account that the angel told Cornelius, you need to send for Peter, who's going to tell you words by which you and your household shall be saved. So this Cornelius was a great man, but he wasn't saved because he had not yet obeyed the original message of salvation. Now let me tell you, there's a lot of great people out of there, and many of them are living in false teaching. We are not against them, and we are not going to deny their experience with the Spirit and deny their relationship with God. But when it comes down to it, oftentimes God is leading them here so that he can complete uh, the truth and the process in their life. If you're listening on CastBox and you have a relationship with God, please don't get offended at me. Uh, God's actually causing you to listen to this message so you can hear the original message of salvation and study it out for yourself and decide what you want to do. My wife and I started a Bible study, and, uh, and uh, it was like seven months or six months. I decided I better read the whole New Testament. I called myself a Christian, and I never even read the New Testament. That's so common today, isn't it? Yeah. But after I read the New Testament, I realized what this young man was telling me was true. I was attending a church where they wanted to use me as a leader, even though I smoked two packs a day and drank up to a 12-pack a night, which I told the pastor. And he said, that's okay. It was at Assemblies of God, by the way, just if you want to know. And uh, I knew it wasn't okay. So I went and got myself rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It was immediately delivered from the two-pack-a-day smoking habit and all the alcohol. Immediately. Immediately. I came out of that water. You couldn't smell smoke on me. Hallelujah. And that was Sunday night before midterms at Duke. I don't know anybody that's quit smoking during midterm week at a, a doctoral program at Duke. Hallelujah. The stress is on. The stress is on. I want you to note, and the musician's going to come, in John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus now speaking to his disciples. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be unto you. Now, this is the resurrected Christ. The disciples had been gathered in a place. They had locked door. They were terrified what was going to happen to them. He said, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. What is he talking about? Jesus was filled with the eternal spirit of God. Now, he had all of the Godhead in him physically, Colossians 2 tells us. He had all of God's spirit dwelling in him because he was God himself manifest in the flesh. Right now, in our humanity, we, cannot, we could not handle all of that. We really couldn't. That's why the Bible said that he's given us the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance. So we've, we've, got, a, we've got a portion of what God is going to give us portion of what God is going to give us when we get to the other side and have glorified bodies can actually handle it. So if you think the Holy Ghost feel good, feels good now, wait till you get to the other side. Hallelujah. Yeah. Right now, the Holy Ghost is a lot better than any cocaine I did, any marijuana I smoked. I like it better than any beer I drank. It's better than any incitement that I got in a football game, any emotional high I got out of a rock concert. The Holy Ghost is a million times better than anything that I have on the face of the earth. And that's just a little down payment of what we're going to get when we can handle it and glorify bodies and get to the other side. Woo! How exciting. How exciting. 
And so Jesus says, uh, as my father has sent me, so even so send I you. And he's talking about the spirit. And then look what he says. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That is why when the Holy Ghost came in the upper room, there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind that was fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus just said here. They did not get the Holy Ghost there. The Bible says the Holy Ghost had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had to go to heaven. And so these folks had never received the Holy Ghost, although they had the Spirit of God upon them. There's a difference between the Spirit of God upon you when you feel the goosebumps and the Spirit of God in you. Like water. You can feel water when you shower, but you got to drink water if you're going to live. Hallelujah. And then he says something really remarkable. I want you to get this now. This is verse 23. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is very, very powerful, folks, because the, the, the apostles and the early church preached a place where our sins are remitted. There's only one place your sins are remitted, and it's in that initial message. And I'm going to get right there now because I want to shorten it up. But the Holy Ghost came, as Jesus said. There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. They've been praying for about five to six days. 120 people there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And Mary Magdalene was there, both ends of the spectrum. A woman that was so connected to God, she was chosen to carry the Christ child. Although she admitted herself she needed a Savior. She wasn't perfect. Hallelujah. And Mary Magdalene, a woman that was a streetwalker prior and had seven devils. And so there's no big eyes and little U's in this thing. We want everyone to come from the prostitute and drug addict and drug dealer and criminal to the lawyer and those that are on top of society and those that have lived a clean life. Uh, just like Cornelius, Cornelius lived a clean life, but he still needed to this, obey the same message. He really did. Just like the Roman jailer, he needed to obey the same message as well, even though he abused Paul and Silas and put them in the jail, okay? We want them all. How many say we want them all? We have got a message that will change you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. If the sun shall make you free, you're free indeed. There ain't nothing like it. And so the day of Pentecost came and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There was two supernatural signs. In the upper room, the Bible says, there was a sound of the rushing mighty wind that fulfilled what Jesus said. I'm restoring what Adam and Eve lost in the garden when God breathed into their nostrils the breath of, the, a breath of life. Adam and Eve were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what they, that when they died, it wasn't physically, it was spiritually. And so that sign was God restoring what Adam and Eve had. My goodness, in this kingdom, you get to have a part of Eden in you. Hallelujah. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's incredible. Hallelujah. And then there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. That is the fulfillment of the prophecy of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who said Jesus was going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then he, he determined, he told what the fire was for, and it's for burning out the things that are destructive in our life. And there's a message on Castbox called Holy Ghost and Fire. If you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to it. It tells about that operation of the Spirit. And then the scripture says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit was upon them. In the New Testament, God's Spirit becomes part of us. It intertwines with our soul. It literally, we become possessed of the Holy Ghost. And that's a good thing. 
There's plenty of people possessed of demons, and that's horrible. But you do become literally filled with God's Spirit. And there's a sign. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Languages they didn't know, whether they were angelic or earthly, it doesn't matter. And he said, and, and they all began to do that as the Spirit gave the utterance. We're not going to teach you to speak in tongues. I will not get in your ear and say, repeat after me, see me time I die. I went to a church that did that. That's crazy. It comes by the Spirit. But let me tell you, everyone that is filled with the Spirit will have that sign. Jesus said it, John 3, 8. Check it out. Hallelujah. And so he preached it straight. Now uh, uh, he gets the Holy Ghost. They come out of the upper room. The city's in an uproar. And Peter begins to preach uh, about what has happened with the Spirit. They thought they were drunk. Let me tell you, I've seen folks drunk in the Holy Ghost. I've been drunk in the Holy Ghost. I love it. I want more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There ain't nothing like getting drunk in the Holy Ghost and you don't wake up with a hangover. <laughs> and you don't have to empty your pockets at some bar downtown. You just come, come on to this place for free. Use your code and pray in the Holy Ghost and you can leave this place stumbling. Hallelujah. In the Spirit. Hallelujah. They thought they were drunk. And Peter said, we're not drunk. He begins to preach. He preaches it straight. He tells them exactly what the Holy Ghost is and how they missed out on the prophecy of Joel in Joel 2. And then he tells them who Jesus is and he tells them they killed the Messiah. Verse 36, he said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly we're back to the scriptures we opened up with that God had made that same Jesus who you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. To the Jews, Lord means Jehovah, the Father, the Creator, and Christ means the Messiah. That's a mouthful. Jesus is not a second person in a fictitious trinity. He is both Lord, that's Jehovah, that's the Creator, and the Father, and He is Christ, the Anointed One. And now we are called Christians, which means the Anointed Ones, a plural. And that's why God has called us to do such great works. Isn't that awesome? Amen, amen, And so they get it. He preaches their, 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 to their sin directly. And the reality of it is sin will keep us from being saved. Paul wrote that to the Corinthian church. He said, don't let anybody lie to you if you're fornicating, if you're being an adulterer, if you're an idolater, if you're effeminate, that's homosexual. Uh, uh, if you abuse yourself, he said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Go read it for yourself, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. But that's not the main part of that message. Verse 11 is the main part of that message. Such were, past tense, some of you, but you are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the message of water baptism in Jesus' name and by the Spirit of our God. That's the message of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Oh, this world is given a license to sin as was prophesied. They've turned grace into a message that it doesn't matter what you do. That was prophesied by the apostles. But let me tell you, salvation is not a get out of hell free card that you get to go to heaven no matter what you do. Salvation is taking you out of the of the waters of drowning of sin. Hallelujah. If I save you from drowning, I take you out of the lake. And Jesus yeah. saves us from sin because he takes us out of that sinful Amen. lifestyle. He changes things. And so, and so when they finally got what they did, Peter preached the original message of salvation. Let's stand to our feet. They said, oh my. When they heard they killed the Messiah and they finally got it, the Bible says they were pierced through to their souls. Verse number 37 of Acts 2. They were pierced through to their souls. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The, crest, the question is absolutely 100% correct. We need to ask what do we need to do for salvation, true salvation. And the answer he gave was given to him by Jesus himself. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
That answer hasn't changed. So Peter said this. He said, if you're going to, I'm paraphrasing, but he actually said this. He said, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. You cannot get a hold of heaven and hold on to the things of this world, friend. You're going to have to let go of world, of sin, of waste, whatever it is that keeps you from serving God. You're going to have to let go of it. You're going to have to get your hands empty so it can receive the heavenly. And then he said, repent. And then he said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For, I'm going to quote the original Greek, forgiveness and release from the bondage of sin. The name Jesus was taken out of baptism in the year 240 by a guy named Tertullian. And let me tell you, I've heard so many different reasons why we need to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Go back and read Matthew 28. Jesus was worshipped as, as the Father in verse 16, 17. He declared he was when he said, I'm the Almighty, Hallelujah, all power. And then Jesus said that he was the Holy Ghost at the end of that chapter, Matthew 28 and 20. He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's the Holy Ghost. And when he said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, he was talking about the actual name, the, the word enoma that means name, his proper name, proper noun. It literally means the actual name. City is a noun. Tampa is the proper noun. Father is a noun. Jesus is that proper noun. He said, I want you to baptize in that name. Luke 24, we already read it. He said, repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in the name of Jesus beginning at Jerusalem. Can I tell you that if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It is a salvation issue. It is a salvation issue. And I've heard so many excuses. I mean, I've heard people, ministers, preachers tell me, oh, that was just for the Jews because they crucified the Messiah. And then they later baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm like, what school did you graduate from? Because Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans were baptized in Jesus' name. And Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his house were baptized in Jesus' name. So he said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I have many more scriptures, but I'm not going there because my wife is playing. And that's the sign. It's time for you to shut up, husband. Hallelujah. But anyways, uh, praise God. Let's worship together. If you want to come down to this altar and just rededicate yourself to God and to his will and to his power, come on. Hallelujah. I know everyone in this house has been baptized in Jesus' name. How many hope next week somebody's going to come that hasn't been? Hallelujah. That's what we're here for. Let's all gather around this altar if you can and just make a commitment. God, I'm going to be a living revival. Solid.